From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Michael Wyrick. And I'm Ethan Sands. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week on The Outlet, hear about a potential funding opportunity coming to Appalachia. So so Athens and, and surrounding communities here along Southeast Ohio have a very large uh, portion of the state that is unserved or underserved with broadband access. Athens would be one of those areas that would uh, qualify, certainly in remote areas for that type of funding. Plus, hear about a new security system at an old campus building. Those stories coming up right here on The Outlet. theater students are adjusting well to an increase in security measures at the school's primary building. Katner Hall recently got new swipe card access on its front and side entrances. Outlet reporter Beth Greenman has the story. Katner Hall is home to all the students in the School of Theater at Ohio University. It has a total of five floors, including its basement, and one elevator that goes to each of them. Recently, Ohio University's Facilities Management and Safety installed card readers on the side and front doors of the building. In some cases in these buildings, we had to run electrical circuits to them in order to power those up. And whenever we are running electrical circuits, we are required by the state to go through a permitting process. So that's why design was involved. And in some cases, I'm not sure if that was included in candor or not, but we also had to do some modifications to the doorways, et cetera, to make swipe access work or be a feasible installation for that particular entrance. That was Senior Associate Vice President of Facilities Management and Safety and Chief Facilities Officer for Ohio University, Steve Woods. He has been working at OU for five years. The card reader on the side of the building is hooked up to the door that lets people into the elevator bay on the ground floor. This was the original purpose of the installation project, to ensure physically disabled people who require the use of elevators had access to the building on weekends and after hours. Before this installation, the only doors open at these times were ones physically disabled people could not use. The actual concept for the project started in December of 
uh, what I want to say, the scope of the project where I put in controllers and, and those kind of things. And in several bat buildings, we added additional swipes from using our facilities management and safety budget. So that included aspects of adding additional readers and scripts, Porter, Central Classroom, Cantner, and Bentley. In October of 2019, School of Theater students received emails informing them an intruder with a history of assault had been entering Cantner Hall. They were given a description of the suspect and told to contact OUPD if they saw him. The suspect was taken into custody the same day students were given that description. This incident had no impact on the construction of the card readers, which was already underway. In fact, facilities management and safety did not even know about the intruder. However, sophomore stage management major Annie Beller does think the byproduct of increased security is a good thing. I felt like it, it made a lot of people feel unsafe. It could be a good thing, so like random people aren't coming in. For The Outlet, I'm Beth Greenman. The USDA is offering loans and grants to cities and businesses across the country through its ReConnect program. Yesterday, Ohio University's Alden Library hosted a panel of speakers for ReConnect on how this program could affect Southeast Ohio. With more on the story, here is The Outlet's Beth Greenman. Today we are honored to have Christopher Troster at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Momentarily, Christopher will join us with a presentation on the ReConnect Grant Loan Program and how this program can have a positive impact in small rural communities. It's Monday morning in Alden Library's CoLab. Speakers sit beside a monitor displaying a presentation about broadband accessibility. A few people sit in chairs to watch the presentation, while even more watch online. This is the webinar for ReConnect, a USDA program created to provide funds to cover the costs of construction for new broadband services in rural areas. If you look at the mission statement for the university, we're here to support the betterment of the region. We're not just here by accident. We're here, you know, because we have a purpose to serve. That goes back to, you know, Mr. Cutler. As an Ohio native, I feel personally committed to uh, connecting individuals to, uh, to do this. That was Dr. John Hogue, an associate professor of Scripps College at Ohio University. He helped organize the forum. To him, internet connectivity is an economic problem that affects Southeast Ohio deeply. The way we've structured you know, policy on internet and wireless, there are haves and have-nots. So we don't have, you know, an economic policy that, uh, that much like we did with plain old telephone service, you know, we don't have a policy called universal service to put everybody on the Internet. So we're somewhat opportunistic to do projects that serve some uh, quantity of, uh, of, of disconnected households at a time. So Athens and, and surrounding communities here along Southeast Ohio have a very large uh, portion of the state that is unserved or underserved with broadband access. Athens would be one of those areas that would uh, qualify certainly in remote areas for that type of funding. That was State Program Director for Connect Ohio, Tina Leiden. She was a speaker at the webinar Monday and believes Athens County and the surrounding region could benefit greatly from applying for funding from ReConnect. The ReConnect program is part of the USDA. It was created in 2018 to offer up to $600 million in grants and loans aimed at developing increased broadband access to rural areas of the country. 
cooperatives, nonprofits, mutual associations, for-profit corporations, limited liability companies, states, local governments, territories or possessions of the U.S., and official native tribes all may apply for funding. However, that funding must be aimed at developing rural areas where at least 90% of households have insufficient internet service. Reconnect defines sufficient access as 10 megabits per second downstream and 1 megabit per second upstream. Applicants can use a mapping tool on the USDA's website to determine an area's eligibility for funding. Okay, so here are a little more of the specifics of the three products that I mentioned, uh, the loan, the combo, and the grant. There are three options for funding. Grants of up to $25 million, loans of up to $50 million, and 50-50 combinations of grants and loans. For the combo option, applicants can request up to $25 million for the grant and $25 million for the loan. Loan and grant amounts in the 50-50 combo option will always be equal. Also, the tax for the loan part of the combo option will be set at the treasury rate. This is different from the loan option, for which the interest rate is fixed at 2%. If an applicant receives a grant, that applicant must then provide a matching contribution of 25% of the overall project's cost. That matching contribution must be spent before the grant money is spent. A similar rule applies for the combo option, where the loan money must be spent before the grant money. Because the grant and combo options are competitive, no changes can be made to applications once they are submitted. Loans, however, are not competitive, so applications for them can be adjusted after submission. Dr. Hogue hopes businesses and counties in Appalachia do apply for funding in order to provide more opportunity for the region. His primary focus is on young people. Children and young students only have certain opportunities in order to learn and enter the workforce. And so every year that we, um, every year that we burn up is a, is a year less that we have to prepare young people. Um, and as an educator, I think that's really where my heart is. Um, so I would, you know, I, I encourage timely action and investment on this. Applications for second round funding are due by March 13th at 6 p.m. For The Outlet, I'm Beth Greenman. And now it's time to hear directly from a source from that story, Dr. John Hogue, Associate Professor at Scripps College of Ohio University. Here is a phone call I had with Dr. Hogue to do this story. You may recognize some sound bites from that very story. And now, the extended call. I was curious to get your thoughts on whether you think there's been any sort of improvement in broadband access in recent years in this region. The, um, the, there's been a lot of fiber construction to support 4G LTE and you know, the, the, the gap is kind of between where the fiber ends and the copper begins because generally uh, every household has got, you know, an, enough wires to support a telephone kind of connection. And so I think for us, uh, this is a good year in that, that the policymakers uh, are showing a great interest in broadband and, uh, in, and doubly so for Southeast Ohio. Mm. Yeah, I think that's clearly demonstrated with the fact that, you know, Connect Ohio even exists. Um, well, Connect Ohio has been around a long time. Their purpose has been to, to, to kind of collect the maps that, that show 
where we have access or no access. And so the Connected Ohio, the Connect Ohio activity is not particularly new and, and their, their, their funding substantially comes from the state uh, on a per project basis to go ahead and do that. And, that, and that's fine. All right. Good to know. Thank you. Um, so then how, you know, obviously this is a major issue facing a lot of people in this region. I was wondering how urgent do you think it really is right now is where we stand? My focus is really on young people and yeah, people, children and young students only have certain opportunities in order to learn and enter the workforce and so every year that we um, every year that we burn up is a is a year less that we have to prepare young people um, and as an educator I think that's really where my heart is um, so I would you know I, I encourage timely action and investment on this hmm. yeah I think personally my view is the biggest part of this is just opportunities you know I feel like people need to have access to that um, so then <sighs> Well, you know, I did a I did a, a book. It's on like Amazon. You can buy my book. It's like three ninety nine, and and basically the and it came through again the state through Connect Ohio. But again, it's entering the job market, getting a good education, getting connected into healthcare. Those those are the things that you can't do through your phone, and you can't do it, you know, on a laptop from the McDonald's parking lot. And so these are the things we want to go and do. Technology is on our side, but, you know, out in, in rural areas, uh, wireless is probably not going to be a solution. And so we really do need to provide, um, you know, tangible connections. Hmm. And, and that, that costs money. It costs $50,000 a mile to build out the fiber. Um, we can't expect wireless even under 5G, which is very much an urban kind of solution to work in areas where we have topography and, you know, and we have the kind of climate we have across Ohio. So we, we know what we need to do. And these are, these are markets that, um, you know, these are, these are, these are situations where um, we need some strategy in order to get these, um, get, get additional segments of the network built to connect more people. Mm. So forgive my ignorance, but if wireless isn't the solution, would that mean that more Ethernet cable-based uh, connections would be? Or what, what is the solution there? Wireless will work in the city because distances are relatively short and there's a higher density where we have lower density areas. What I'm hoping is that we'll make We'll take advantage of existing copper that is in place, both for cable TV and for telephone, which is generally present in most of these locations. But we'll need to insert segments of, of fiber optics in order to deliver the bandwidth closer to these kind of low-density scenarios like Gamesville, Morgan County come to mind. Okay. And so we're, we're going to... It is. This is likely to be done by industry, with or without government funds to incentivize them to insert more and more segments of fiber in order to get within uh, the, this, the the distance to households 
in, in order to provide the bandwidth to do broadband. So we're probably not going to see fiber going to people's houses. That's $10,000 each. That would turn this into a $2 billion kind of project. And there's no guarantee that people would even buy it if it were connected. That's why Verizon left Ohio is because there's no, there, the, um, it, just, there's no guarantee that, you know, if a, if a private enterprise builds something that people will buy it. And, and so our regulatory structure is not going to spread that bill around to every, um, every rate payer in Ohio. So it's an interesting time because there's been a lot of fiber built out to support additional wireless. We have additional technologies that will allow us certainly not to give gigabit service to people's households, but to give them kind of a good enough broadband service that young people can do their homework, that everybody can fill out job applications. You know, Ohio's becoming friendlier toward telemedicine. It may well be that we can have online consultations from home. Those are the big three uh, sorts of things that we've anticipated. These are the things that people can get in the cities and the suburbs. And I think that between the private sector and new legislation and, and maybe the USDA funding, you know, that's that that's not a I, I'm I'm not sure how many entities are actually going to apply for those loans. But there are leaders in certain areas. And the Athens County leadership is is really on top of this. They're trying to uh, and in fact now while trenches are being opened up to support new uh, sewer construction, to have conduit to, to to add conduit with strands of fiber optics laid into that trench while the while the trench is open, and, and so the kind of innovation that's coming from Athens County is actually very good, and people are watching. Our neighbors in Marietta and Washington County uh, are also, you know, wanting to do what's best for them, and you know we're paying a lot of attention to that. But it will not be a one-size-fits-all thing, and it won't be wireless because the distances are too big. And there's rain, you know, and the wireless and the rain at the kind of frequencies that we'll be doing would not be a good combination. Gotcha. Okay, so it's really a wide range of whatever will work for any given region. Um, so then I wanted to ask on the topic of the loans and the grants, if, um, you know, a group from our region were to apply and actually get one of these, you know, either grants or loans or a combination, um, how much of an impact do you think that would have on general connectivity here? Uh, Athens County brought its GIS expert. And, and so part of the, the challenge with the USDA will be to know specifically which addresses on which roads in which locations could meet the high hurdle that was set by USDA. And, and so somebody has to analyze, you know, each one of these scenarios to see if it meets the expectations that would allow them to apply for a grant, which would be free money, or a loan that would have to be paid back. And, and so because the, because the GIS expert was there, I suspect that the, uh, I'm not part of the project, but I suspect that there'll be some thoughtful discussions at the, at the county level about you know, are there, are there potential projects? I think the, the Washington County people have already gone through that exercise. And so they, they, you would have to ask them, but you know, I would expect the uh, Buckeye Hills 
Planning Commission in Washington County to be strongly considering getting their application done, which I think is due March 20th. Uh, the Athens people are smart, and, and if they have a scenario, they will apply. Um, but you have to you have to know your geography in this. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. All right. Well, those are all the questions that I had written down. Is there anything you want to say that I did not specifically ask you about? This field is a mixture of economics and engineering. And because the context for this is like a business, we want a business to be able to be profitable and pay its loans back. And that that's the model that I approach this with. I've been in the industry. I've been in this field for a very long time. That's not how governments work. And so if you if you want to do a network like it's a network business, then there are some things that really are in our DNA. Um, it's 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 tough, but it's a public service ultimately to provide uh, telecom, to provide energy, to provide water and sewer. Um, it's a complicated business, and there's some organizations do it very well. On the other hand, it's an easy way to build a lot of stuff that nobody uses and then you know, stick the, the taxpayers with that. And so that's that's the fine line that uh, policymakers have to walk. That if you really want to do this like a business, you have to sharpen your pencil and you have to know where things are. Um, and that I think Athens is in a really good place because there's been a, there's, we've got entrepreneurs here. You've got a very engaged public sector. Uh, you've got teamwork and you've got leadership. And, and the universities here really just to facilitate the conversation where we have expertise, we, we try to inform. Um, we were in the library so students could show up. Obviously, first thing Monday morning is not a great you know, student uh, magnet, but uh, you know we, we at the very least can convene. And occasionally when we have expertise, we can, we can be part of the discussion. All righty. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. When a tornado tore through Old North Dayton on Memorial Day, one of the buildings destroyed was a neighborhood's last affordable full-service grocery store. Eight months later, that family shop is still working to reopen. So the Neighborhood Association and a local ministry are offering residents free rides to the nearest supermarket. WYSO reporter Jason Reynolds went shopping with them. Our bus might yell at you. There's a safety feature on it, which is very noisy. Ann Shaler is a little nervous about firing up the big van she's using to make a grocery store run from Old North Dayton. Okay, we can only hope. Yeehaw! Shaler belongs to Beaver Creek Christian Church, which is loaning out the vans for grocery runs. That's how she wound up volunteering to drive across town at 8.30 a.m. on a Saturday. Zip code doesn't matter to us there's a need here. We know how to drive the vans and we could fulfill the need. Bill Evans is a retired baker who has lived in Old North Dayton for over 50 years. These days, he volunteers with a number of charities like St. Vincent de Paul to help hungry people in his neighborhood find food. I made a good living in food service and I just don't want to see people go hungry. Now, Evans is volunteering to drive people to the grocery store. I mean, I can give you a Kroger gift card. I carry them all the time. I give you a $40, $50 Kroger gift card, somebody wants $20 to take you to the grocery because 
if you don't have transportation, the exchange rate on the street could be 20 bucks. Angela Cottrell suffered a stroke, and public transportation isn't an option for her. Instead, she's one of those people paying for rides. Sometimes people charge me $15, some people charge me $20. One time I caught a cab up there, it was almost $40. Whoa. Because they make you wait, they still had a meter running uh, while you were in the store. Mary Duncan has been taking public transportation to get groceries, but she says it takes a long time. You have to be on the bus 45 minutes to an hour each way, there and back. Everyone is excited to buy fresh produce. They say it's hard to find reasonably priced fruits and vegetables since the storm. Anna Moreno says one of the worst parts of not having affordable, healthy food in the neighborhood is when she finds herself short on ingredients for a good family meal. Because sometimes you cook and so you're missing some tomatoes or onions and so, oh my goodness, you didn't step to the cook because you don't have tomatoes and you need to go to the Walmart or at Kroger, it's too far away. So you just do without? Yeah. On the ride back to Old North Dayton, Angela Cottrell says missing ingredients and even missing whole meals is something the whole neighborhood has been struggling with since Grocery Lane was hit by a tornado, looted in the wake of the storm, and eventually boarded up. Yeah, it's sickening. I, I'm really upset about that. I mean, everybody went there because they have fresh meat, fresh vegetables, a nice price, and everything. So when they shut that down, it was everybody took a loss. The good news is that the owners of Grocery Lane have decided to reopen. Repairs on the exterior of the store are almost done, but work has just begun on the interior, and a reopening could still be months away. Well, thank you, Mr. Bill. Welcome. The last stop on this morning's grocery run is Evans Bakery. Bill Evans retired years ago, but his daughter, Jennifer, decided to reopen the bakery that he started back in 1969. In addition to baking, Jennifer also seems to have inherited her father's desire to help people. She says they'll try to keep these grocery runs going for at least six months, by which time Grocery Lane should be reopened. Then they'll turn their attention to other food issues. I mean, if we can get a grocery store back, then we can go back to focusing on those more systemic issues of just healthy eating. I mean, right now we just want to make sure that people are eating and have access to any groceries. For now, Evan says she hopes more people will take her up on a free ride to the grocery store. Those vans leave Old North Dayton every Saturday at 9 a.m. For Ohio Public Radio, I'm Jason Reynolds. If you live in Old North Dayton and need a ride to the grocery store, the Neighborhood Association is asking residents to call 937-228-4151 to get more information and to make a reservation. The Me Too movement is celebrating a recent win. Disgraced former Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein was convicted Monday in a Manhattan trial for third-degree rape and first-degree criminal sexual act. He was acquitted of the more serious charges, including two counts of predatory sexual assault and one count of rape in the first degree. These charges had the potential to give Weinstein a life sentence. He will still likely spend time in prison. The jury reached the decision after 30 hours of deliberation over a period of five days. 
Weinstein is still awaiting trial in Los Angeles after he was charged last month with raping one woman and sexually assaulting another in 2013. NASA is mourning the death of one of its early human computers. Mathematician Katherine Johnson died Monday of natural causes. She was 101. Johnson calculated the flight path for the first U.S. crewed space mission and moon landing. She was also one of the mathematicians who inspired the 2016 film Hidden Figures. The extradition of the WikiLeaks co-founder is underway in London. Julian Assange has been indicted on 18 counts related to illegally obtaining and publishing classified information in 2010. American lawyers argue his case is not one related to journalism or freedom of speech, but one about breaking criminal laws related to publishing unredacted classified matters. NBA fans are remembering former Los Angeles Lakers player Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna after their premature deaths last month. They both died in a helicopter crash that killed seven others. Over 20,000 filled the Staples Center in LA at a public memorial held there on Monday. Beyonce opened the event with a performance of XO. Retired NBA stars Michael Jordan, Dwayne Wade, and Tim Duncan spoke. Kobe's widow and mother of Gianna, Vanessa Bryant, spoke publicly about the tragedy for the first time. She fought through tears to pay tribute to her late husband and daughter. Bryant is survived by Vanessa, as well as his three other daughters, Natalie, Bianca, and Capri. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is co-produced each week by Beth Greenman, Ethan Sands, Zenobia Chris, and me, Michael Wyrick. We're edited by Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes, or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Outlet underscore WOUB, and on Instagram at WOUB underscore Outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.